Old hymns, uh, they just preach the sermon, don't they? It's wonderful. And it's the reality of the words that uh, you live every day and it becomes part of your life. And so the reality of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead is just an absolute critical principle in your life and in my life. It's the pivot point for Christianity and gives credibility to everything that is spoken in the Old and the New Testament. It's the power of God. And so we just praise him and thank him for that. Well, let's put the scriptures up. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. And if you'd stand with me, we will read this. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Father, we do thank you for your word and that you have fulfilled all your promises in the scriptures up to this point. And we know that there's more to come. We ask you to bless us, Father. We ask for your spirit of understanding. Help us with the scriptures. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let me tell you what Walter A. Ewell who did the Evangelical Theological Dictionary, writes about the resurrection. Hopefully you're impressed already through that sentence. That Jesus Christ died and afterward rose from the dead is both the central doctrine of Christian theology and the major fact in the defense of its teachings. Well, I like that. It appeals to me. It's very clear. It's very succinct. It's very scholarly. And we could memorize that and know it, but is it in our hearts? We are of no threat to Satan and his kingdom when we don't take the scriptures and don't take them and apply them to our life. We're no threat to him. We've got to take the scriptures and apply it to our life. We're very ineffective as Christians if we don't take the scriptures and apply them to our life. So for us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, as we take these truths of Scripture and as we believe, it really starts to burrow down in the depths of our heart that Christ is real, that he really is the Son of God, that he really did die on the cross, and he rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father and is coming back, that he is preparing a place for us in heaven, that he is interceding for us and that he watches over us every moment of the day. That goes into the depths of our heart. It's just not something I can whip back to you out of my mind and bring back to you, but it's something that God wrote on my heart just as he wrote it on yours. He writes on the fleshy tables of our heart. They're real. And don't you want to be effective for your king? 
for your master, for your savior. And to be able to love him and to reach out to him and to be able to reach out to others. As Paul writes us, he said, this is of the first importance, first importance, that Christ died on the cross and that he rose again. And it's the first importance for you and for me. When I received Christ as my Savior back in 73, there was something back then called the King James Bible. And <laughs> um, the NIV was just getting ready to be born. I guess the Bible's been born again a number of times like that. Uh, as they uh, delve into all the meanings of the Hebrew and of the Greek, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, out of the King James, this is what I've always remembered. If Christ be not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. That's how critical the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for you and for me. That's why it is critical that the foundation of your faith be that Jesus is the Christ and that he rose from the dead. If not, everything we believe is in vain. Paul goes on in the rest of the 15th chapter of Corinthians, and I just want to hit a few spots in verses 12 through 32. And if Christ is not literally raised from the dead, then the entire Christian faith is false. It is ineffective. Preaching is valueless. Christian testimony is false. No sins have been forgiven. Believers have perished without any Christian hope. Christians are the most miserable of all people. We should be pitied. He goes on, if, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we might as well eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Boy, how dis discouraging is that? But the truth is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And the greatest thing about that, if we, if we sang the hymn, um, He lives, He lives, I know my Savior lives, you ask how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. Some of you have had the privilege of going to Israel. You've been inside the tomb that they believe Jesus was buried in. And the first time I went, and I was so excited, and there was a British guide there, a retired pastor who had a stroke. He was partially paralyzed, and his eyes were just sparkling as he led us, and we looked at the tomb and came back out and had communion. And here's this crippled man. And he said, group, you know the greatest thing about all of this, the greatest thing about the tomb? It's empty. And he said it alive in his life. And it really touched my heart. In Romans, the first chapter, in the first four verses, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, through the spirit of holiness that our Lord was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, and that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is such a critical point for us as believers, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead with power, proving he was the Son of God, and that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can't separate the two, and if you do, we become weak ineffective, immature. And because we believe that Jesus Christ had the power over death, 
we confess that he is Lord. Lord, master, owner. Lord, someone with authority, someone with power, someone who owns me. To say that Jesus Christ is your Lord is to say that he is your master and that he has power over your life and that he's got so much power, he's got the power over the death of your life and to open the doors to heaven for you. One of the first pieces of Christian decorations or whatever you'd like in 1973, when I got saved, I bought a little wooden plaque that said, Jesus is Lord, and I put it by my fireplace, and I looked at it every day because I was so thrilled that I was no longer the Lord of my life, the master of my life. I just couldn't fix problems. I couldn't get things done, it seemed. I tried hard, and I worked, and I had a house and a car and all that, but life is so much more than that, isn't it? And I had to carry the whole load myself. And I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't talented enough. I didn't have enough money. Didn't have enough strength. And the Lord saved me and came into my life. And as I looked at the scriptures and I heard the sermons, I could say, yes, he's Lord. And he's got all that power. And he sits with the Father. And he reaches out to me. Jesus said it, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And let me read you a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 starting. As Paul is talking about the church and the people being sealed with the Holy Spirit, and they have a deposit within themselves. And he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which the Lord has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Our God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who feels everything and in every way. I ask you this morning, is the God that you serve, do you believe that he has all authority and power over everything under heaven and earth? And that he has all authority and power over everything in your life? And that he is guiding your steps? That he's making plans for you? That he has you in the palm of his hand and the center of his attention? That's the God that we serve. That's the Lord that we serve. That's the master that we have. That's the owner of our life. All authority and power 
no matter what is going on, no matter what people try to do, no matter what is happening in this world, what's going on in our physical bodies, he is Lord. It's just not a phrase. It's the truth. It's the truth. And because he has all authority and power, because he has raised Jesus Christ from the dead with power, I can believe that he can create a universe out of nothing because he raised his son from the dead. I can believe he can take a handful of dirt and form a man and breathe into his lungs and make him a living, living being. I believe he could tell a man who's 100 years old, I'm going to give you a son. And he did, because he has the power over life and death. I believe he can put a man in the belly of a whale and stay there three days and spew him out and send him to a city and to see hundreds, maybe hundreds of thousands of people repent and be saved. I believe because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead that a man can sit in a fiery pit and come out and not even have his clothes smell like smoke. I believe that he could send a man and free two million people in Egypt and be a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Open up the Red Sea. Have them walk for 40 years and their clothes never wear out because he had the power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. I believe. I believe he can do anything because all authority and power have been given to him. And he's proven it by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all based on that. And so I want to encourage you this morning in your faith. I ask you, other than on Easter Sunday, do you think about the resurrection? <laughs> do we even talk about it? I was in Honduras on Easter Sunday and, and spoke there and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the days before I went, and as I was studying, I came under such conviction as a pastor. And I couldn't remember the last time I mentioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ to somebody. And I know I have lots of times, but I couldn't remember. And yet, is it of first importance? Everything hangs on that. And it shows all of his power. Our job is to equip you to be able to live this life with his power. The very fact that I can stand on this stage is because Jesus Christ ascended to the Father and he gave gifts to men, pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip us to live a life of servanthood. All that happened because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in you, as you believe and as you confess that Jesus is Lord with your mouth and that you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead we're saved and we come into his household we come to be his being we come into having him as master and lord of our life romans 8 11 tells us and if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead is living in you he who raised christ from the dead will also give you life into your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. All these things and impressions you feel in your heart towards trusting God is the Holy Spirit, that power of the Holy Spirit. And it's up to you and I whether we choose to obey the Spirit 
and exercise that authority and that power or not. It's your choice. It's my choice. You're not going to have very many times where God's going to ask you to pray for the dead, raise somebody from the dead. I've never, I've prayed for people to be healed, but I've never prayed for somebody to be raised from the dead. Other people have. I've never parted the Red Sea, the Cumberland River, <laughs> the Detroit River. It was so polluted you'd have to dig across it. Uh, I've never been called to do that. God's never asked me to walk on water. But he's asked me to believe him. He's asked me to obey him. He's asked that I would serve him and let him be my Lord and I his servant. And to be like him. In the New Testament, 16 times it calls him Savior. 450 times it calls him Lord. And my Lord is alive. My Lord has all authority and power. My Lord can do anything. My Lord gave his life for me. My Lord is looking out for me. He's alive. And he's working on my behalf and on your behalf. A year and a half or so after I got saved, I was going to a non-denominational charismatic church that was in a house and it was an exciting time. It was all so new to me. I'd gotten saved in a wonderful Baptist church. And then as reading the scriptures, and I bumped into somebody who was talking about the Holy Spirit, and they shared more with me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they said, uh, you and your wife really love the Lord. You ought to try this church. So we went over to this house on Granny White Pike and met boy people were just singing like you all and raising their hands and clapping and happy and uh, at the end of the service, somebody greeted me and asked if I had a prayer request. And I said, yeah, I sure do. And he grabbed my hand and prayed for me right there. <laughs> Didn't wait. It was something. I, I went back. And I went back again and again and eventually was there full time. But as I was still learning about Jesus Christ as Lord and what the scriptures were saying, all kinds of people were getting saved there from assistant former assistant attorney generals of the state of Tennessee to um, people that were just barefoot and uh, in just old clothes. It was just a broad spectrum. And there were people in the music business and lots of people trying to get into the music business. And one evening, this fellow rolled in with his guitar and he was um, just sharing with us and we had known him for a few months and he walked in and said, I've got a, a new song I've just written. I want, I want to play it for you, see what you guys think. And there were a few hundred of us there probably. And he stood up in his jeans and the mandatory flannel plaid shirt. Um, and his name was Don Francisco. Nobody knew him much. He was just in the church trying to make his way. And he started singing this song about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called He's Alive. Some of you know it. Go home this afternoon if you haven't heard it and go on YouTube. And Dolly Parton is saying it and a number of people. So he starts playing about Jesus and the disciples running away, uh, but that Jesus was not in the tomb anymore, that Jesus was alive and I'm forgiven and heaven's gates are open wide 
and we were all up on our feet, and people were crying, and people were kneeling, and people were just saying hallelujah, because all of us were declaring that Jesus Christ is our Lord, and our Lord was alive. He's alive, and I am forgiven. And heaven's gates are open wide. My Lord, my Master, my Savior is alive and will live eternally and will never leave me or forsake me. And nothing can separate me from his love because he's alive. And this gives us then the ability to live this Christian life by this power and spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that scripture says now lives in us. He's alive. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have within us. It's our Lord. And I ask you to live the scriptures, believe the scriptures, and to be a person that will say, I set Jesus Christ apart in my heart as my Lord. We like to sing the songs and all the things that Wayne writes and uh, about let's build him a throne and let's bless Jesus on the throne of our hearts. And that's good. That's exactly true. But this is exactly what the scriptures are saying, to set him apart. Put him there as Lord. And we, his people and servants, to follow him, to listen to him and to see what he can do at that church I was telling you about for many years everybody would come to the service to see what our Lord was going to do in the service now things changed later on and there were some issues and the flesh got into the way but it's a wonderful thing to anticipate your Lord doing something your Lord speaking to you your Lord guiding you your Lord opening up ways to you. And to truly be able to say, I belong to him. I've been bought and paid for by a price. I belong to him. And if I belong to him and he is my Lord and master, then he's responsible to take care of me. He's asked me to love him with all my heart, soul, and might to love others and to love myself. I'll fulfill everything that the law and the prophets have said if I'll do that. He's asked me to love. He's asked me to seek him. He's asked me to seek his kingdom. He's asked me to seek ye first the righteousness of God, Bruce, and everything else will be added to you. Everything else. I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. One of the things about the stories that we read about the prodigal sons, I like to make a plural, to me that really jumped out was neither son thought having the presence of their father in their life had any value. And he said, you've got me and everything that I own. When we have the Lord as our master, we have everything that he has. Everything. It's his presence. It's his presence. You've heard me say before, my dad was a policeman in Detroit and a big guy. And I didn't think he was afraid of anything. 
but he was. It's one of those phrases, you know, my dad would fight a buzzsaw. But he was afraid of being left alone from his family. He was afraid that we might love him, not love him. He was afraid about the price he was going to pay for his sin. My God deals with none of that because he's love and he's powerful and he's eternal. Romans 14, 8 tells us this. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. And his power and all that resides in it will take care of us. It will guide us, speak to us. Let me read to you out of Philippians chapter 4. Some of this you're very well familiar with. But as Paul speaks to the church of Philippi, he says this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things, everything, through him who gives me strength, who gives me power. I'm not concerned about parting the Red Sea. I am concerned that I might love every single day, that I might walk in under his guidance and be obedient to my Lord. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and goodness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. I believe. And I believe that the power is within me. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, if you have claimed Jesus Christ as Lord, that same power lives in you. And you really can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You really can forgive. You really can show the light of Christ in your life. You really can believe and look for God to answer all of the promises and answer your prayers. I believe by the power of the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in me that I can trust God. I can trust him totally. And I've had to just like you, and to believe him for miracles. My wife and I have been married five years and no children. And I watched her cry. No kids. And we got saved. And we believed God could give us a miracle. And he did. A month later, she was pregnant. And I went out and bought a football. <laughs> it was November. He was going to need a present. We wanted more kids. And he didn't give us any. But he made me a youth pastor. Worked that one out. <laughs> and ten years later, just before we left for Zimbabwe, 
she's pregnant. We always believed we were going to have more kids. But we had to have some kind of power to keep us going. And maybe there's something about going to Zimbabwe. The same thing happened to Ronnie and Margaret. <laughs> um, so forget the fertility clinic at Vanderbilt. Go to Africa. Uh, <laughs> I've had to believe sitting at the bedside of my dad and then that my mom. And they were both going to pass away. It was four years apart, but they were going to pass away literally in moments. And I needed the power to believe they were going to heaven. That this life is not all that there is. I need strength and power to do that. And to be able to speak to them and speak to others. I've needed the power of God as I've sat in waiting rooms in the hospital, not only believing for church members, but the three cancer operations my son went through. That if the doctor came out and said it went horribly wrong, that he would go to heaven. And then a number of years later, sitting in Kansas City in a hospital, and my daughter having cancer. I needed some power. And it was there. It was there, right within me. And all I had to do is say, Jesus, you're my Lord. And I believe you've been raised from the dead. And that you have all authority and power. I believe it, Lord. And I would well up inside me. And I could believe. And I could pray, I could talk to other people, pray for other people in the waiting room. I could believe it. I've seen it happen over and over again. I've seen it happen recently. I know a lady and with a couple of teenagers whose their father, her husband, is in prison. And hardly any income at all. And one family sends them a check on a regular basis so they can make it. Working for him, helping his family. And a few weeks ago, she went out to the mailbox to send a thank you letter. She was so overwhelmed that she had two thank you letters that she had written and hadn't mailed. She just, it was just too much for her. And she opened the mailbox to put these letters in to be mailed, and there was another envelope with another check there. And she had to go back and write another thank you letter <laughs> and say, this is the third one. You're getting all three now. But she just couldn't believe. It took the power of God in this family to support her and her boys. I know just recently, a fellow who's just gone through surgery, out of work for six weeks and no income. And the power of the risen Christ in one of his brothers in the Lord rose up within him and he's got a very difficult, hard physical job. And he went into his boss and said, I want to work an extra day for a number of weeks. And now he works an extra day, and all of that money goes to that guy who can't work. That's the power of the risen Christ in action today. That's what it's about. That kind of power to believe, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the Lord, your master, tells you to do, I can do this 
because I'm not doing it alone. If Christ can be raised from the dead and his power and spirit lives with me, the exact same things, I can do this. And I'm going to do it because he's directed me to do it. What a way to live. What a way. That's the victorious Christian living. That's when you live with hope. That's when you have a reason on your lips for the hope that you have within you because the risen Christ and his power and spirit are inside you. That's it. That's what we believe. We believe in our Lord. It's real. And just recently, um, I was speaking with some folks who uh, are doing some work about Weary, and some of you know about that, and they wanted some information about what's gone on there the last 20 years. And I, so I pulled out a file I've had, and I pulled out this sheet of paper and started to look at it. And just listen to this. This is from 2002. And I want to ask you if the power of the risen Christ isn't working in people's lives. I had one teenager who came with a large group from North Carolina that year. And the story he told me was, just before I got on the bus with the youth group, my father said, I don't love you. When you get back, I will not be here. You're on your own. Goodbye. And he got on the bus. When he left, he got on the bus there, and he said to me, I'm coming back. It's great. The power of God just rose up in that young man. He wasn't worried about his future because Jesus was his Lord and his master. And we give him provision. There was a 63-year-old guy named Bob that year. He said, this is the most significant week of my life. Even one of the girls asked me to become her grandfather. <laughs> that was big to Bob. I had a seventh grade girl give me $35 just to buy tools to help people. That's the power of God. I had Steve and his wife come with a youth group. And he came to honor his son who had committed suicide that year. And this year he would have been a senior on the mission trip. And he said, we're coming for my boy. And we're going to help somebody else. That's the power of God in a risen life. And a 78-year-old lady who was on her first mission trip, and she looked at me after a few days and said, I can do this at home. And so the Lord challenged her. <laughs> While we were there, she said, I don't even go to Walmart by myself. But I've got to here because everybody else is out working and i got to go buy some food. She said, bye, I'm out of here. And she got in her car and drove to Walmart. To me, that's the power of God. Somebody who's so afraid she can't even go to Walmart by herself. But now she's ready to go and she's in another city. You know? And I thought, I'm going the other way. I'm going to go work while she drives off. <laughs> Just a couple more. I had two teenage brothers whose father died on Friday. The funeral was on Sunday. And on Monday they got on the van and they came on the mission trip. 
and after the week one said, I want to come back, I want to be an intern. They've lost their father. They buried him the day before. That's the power of the resurrected Christ living in a human being that overcomes a broken heart. It's set free from doubt and worry. I even had a policeman come, and as he ministered in the area uh, and just really got in people's life, he told me, I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to have a different view of people like this, like the people you have living in worry. I'm going to treat them different. That's the power of God, the resurrected life, his spirit living within you. But I warn you, just saying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit within you to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and my Master. He owns me and I belong to him. In Matthew chapter 7, in verses 22 through 23, and you guys know it very well, people will come before the Lord and they say, Lord, Lord, I did all this stuff. I did all these good works. I helped poor people. I did all these things. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Good works is not an indication that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a humble heart, a love that doesn't fail, and a confession on our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he rose from the dead and he lives within me. And therefore my master directs me here, he directs me there, he gives me my assignment, he goes with me. When I was asked to go to Zimbabwe and teach in a Bible school, I was really confused. I was asked to go and immediately I heard the Lord say to my heart, how can you say no? It was clear as a bell, my master telling me, how can you say no to this? And I'm thinking, me? Teaching a Bible school? I know lots of people that are better teachers than I am, Ronnie and Margaret being two of them. Me? And my wife had heard from the Lord that day herself and had prayed. That day, we, made the, we were going. And then we worked out, and a number of months later, we were there. And I went and started to teach in the Bible school, and I was just Bruce, and it was exactly like I thought it was going to be. You know, a number of the African teachers there were better teachers than me. And I'm saying, okay, well, I'm just plugging away, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm sure loving sharing Christ with people and my experience and things like that. What I didn't realize was this, the plans that my master had. Because I kept looking at my abilities or lack thereof, but I went in the power of God because I knew he was there and my master would not leave me or forsake me. He would help me. He would give me the power to do what I needed to do. And after a year, I was told that the year before I came, there had been a strike on campus. It was full of strife. And they had rebelled against the leadership, and some, there was some terrible teaching that had gone on. And the Bible school was not in good shape. If I would have known that, I wouldn't have gone. I've been in stressful situations in church settings and institute, and it's, it's hard on you. I wouldn't have gone at all. The Lord didn't tell me about the situation. 
the leader of the ministry there put a lot of pressure on me, and he put it on Ronnie too, that the fruit of the Spirit better be happening, stuff better be happening, these pastors better be growing, they better know the Word, and all this kind of stuff. He, he put pressure on us. And we could do this. We knew the right things to do. But when he came into my office after a number of months and after talking with his students, he said, Bruce, or Baba Bruce, you're doing a good job. My people are happy. And he turned around and he walked away. You see, what they needed at the Bible school was just stability. What they needed was the fruit of the Spirit to be taking place. And then teaching took place after that. And by choice, I can choose to be stable. I can choose to help right the ship for my life and others. Point the way, there's our Jesus, that's our goal, that's our target, that's where we're heading. And we're not going this way, we're not going this way. It doesn't take a well-educated man to say, that's our Lord, let's go after him. And that's all they needed. And they fulfilled what I believed. They openly said in public I wasn't the best teacher. <laughs> it was humbling, but I knew what... But I was under the power of God. All I bought was stability. What about you? Is Jesus your Lord? When the disciples saw Christ, they were excited about him. He's been raised from the dead. And Thomas... When he heard about the risen Christ, he said, uh, no, I'm going to have to touch him. I'm going to have to touch his scars. I'm going to have to touch his side. That's what I'm going to have to do. And sure enough, Jesus shows up to Thomas. He says, Thomas, touch me. Touch me. Touch my side. And it says, Thomas looked at him and did that he fell and said, my Lord and my God. I ask you this morning to touch Jesus. He's here. And to know him as Savior, as Lord and Master. To have the power of the risen Christ in you. Not to leave this life and face the Lord, which every person does, and try to give an account of your life of all your good works. but rather to face the Lord and not have to give an account, but to say, hear him say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know you. Come on in and enter my rest. Come in. This is who the resurrected Christ is, the Son of the living God. All authority and power are given to him. He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I, Right now, he's preparing a place in heaven for all that know him and trust him and love him. He's daily sending messages to us through the Holy Spirit and through his scriptures to guide us and to order our steps that his kingdom may grow because all we can take to heaven is people. That's the power of the risen Christ. Will you stand with me, please? We want to give you the opportunity this morning. If you've never asked Christ to come into your heart, you've heard the message and he's waiting.
He is alive. You are forgiven. And heaven's gates are open wide to you. And today you can make him Lord of your life. Just Lord of your life. And if you've wandered away from the Lord, or you've just lived a life and never made him Lord, but you've tried to live a Christian life, I, I pity you. And I hurt for you. The power's here through the Holy Spirit in you to be able to live it and to live a victorious life and a life of the power, to be able to know contentment in all situations and to know that your place in heaven is secure. And whatever need that you have, we would love to pray for you for healing or whatever situation you have in your life because our Lord and Master is alive. So those who are going to pray with folks come down and I invite you to know this Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, who's speaking your name right now.
that you raised him from the dead and that he is Lord. And I ask for every individual in the sanctuary today, Father, that you would continue to draw them to you through this Lord Jesus Christ. They would experience the power. They would experience the fullness, Father, and the hope. I ask you to give them hope of the risen Christ, that they can do all things through Christ to strengthen them. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen and amen.